0: Okay, so welcome back to Cracks in Postmodernity. Today, we're with Armin Rosen, who writes for the Tablet, amongst some other, pub, uh, yeah, some other publications, right?
1: Yeah, I, um, I write for the Washington Examiner pretty okay. frequently, mostly on music and popular culture, and uh, you know, here and there, you know I contribute pieces on kind of odd topics, uh, but mostly, mostly Tablet these days, luckily.
0: Nice. So before we get into your article, which you wrote a couple weeks ago called Zoomers Like It Ugly, can you just give a little bit more background on the stuff you write about, how you got into writing and all of that?
1: Sure. So I am kind of the New York reporter for Tablet Magazine, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a leading Jewish interest publication. Uh, But in, in kind of in recent years, I mean, it's always had kind of a broader uh you know area of focus. It's kind of an almost like a nationally focused magazine that's run by a bunch of Jews in some ways. Uh but it's it's uh kind of broadened our scope, especially in the last kind of five or so years since I began working there. Um and they've kind of set me on all sorts of different sort you know types of articles. I've done kind of like you know investigative pieces about you know lobbying organizations in DC. I've done a lot of kind of local New York news. Uh, But what really first got me into journalism back when I was in college uh, was not music per se, but using journalism as an excuse to get into shows for free, uh, which is something I got really, really good at um, and is still kind of one of the main attractions of the job. uh, In a sense, you can kind of nag people to to let you into things, Um, you know, and that comes with like a certain responsibility. It's like going to a show for fun is very different from going to a show that you know you're going to have to write something about. But by now I've had like 15 years of practice at it. Uh, you know, and I'm kind of used to, you know, to going to concerts and kind of taking a look around and figuring out who might be there and why and what might make it different from everything else you've been to or exactly the same as everything else you go to anyway. Um, and it was sort of in that spirit that I was able to talk my editors into letting me go to Rolling Loud.
0: Okay. Now, was this your first time going there?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, I had always kind of wanted to check out Rolling Loud. Um, I mean, the lineups are always just like really, really almost like a wish list of people who you theoretically want to see uh, you know, at a hip hop festival along with like 20 or 30 other people who, you know, with like ridiculous names you'd never heard of a number of whom sometimes end up being, you know, getting really, really big somewhere down the line. Uh, and I would all, you know, I had assumed that like COVID was going to get it canceled mm-hmm. and I was kind of shocked that both governor's ball and uh, rolling loud kind of happened in the same like month long span at the same parking lot, you know, at Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah, it was my first time kind of going and I knew that like Rolling Loud has like a bit of a reputation of being like kind of drama filled. Uh, You know, it's a festival where really bizarre and unexpected things take place. Um, And and the New York edition was probably the most bizarre and unexpected festival they've ever thrown for reasons positive and negative that
0: we can get into. Yeah. So uh, just before we get into the content of the article, I I have to say, so I think within the span of like the first week that it came out, two separate people sent the article to me. And normally like people send me stuff all the time and I don't really read everything because my attention span is short. But after the second person sent this to me, I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Um, Mm -hmm. but after reading like the first two paragraphs, I was hooked right away. Um, Because, you know, it's these artists you were talking about, I guess, are largely trap drill artists. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by the sound, but also by the performances of these artists, because they're really tapping into something about our culture right now, especially the younger generation. But I've never found the words to really explain it. But when I read this, I was like, "Whoa!" like this is this is really fleshing it all out, which um Very exciting for me. So, uh, yeah, let's just start with like when you were there, what were your first thoughts before you actually articulated everything this article? Like, how did it first impact you while you're at the concert?
1: Well, when you get to any music festival, like, and and I kind of go into this in the story in a way, like, there's such an adrenaline wave when you show up at a festival where there are tens of thousands of people and like, maybe it's two or three in the afternoon and you have the whole day ahead of you and you immediately cycle through your mind, like, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to see, you know, trippy red and ski mask and like the rest of these guys in the space of like five hours. And it's going to be awesome. And like everybody else is really happy to be there. And then, you know, the sun starts going down and, you know, uh, you know, the spotlights and the lasers and the flamethrowers start coming out on stage. And, uh, you know, you start to realize the drugs are hitting wherever you look. And it's really kind of like a different type of environment that's really like kind of outside of, you know, the regular kind of run of normal life. Uh, And that and there's something like very kind of addictive about that. And there's something very addictive about just like getting blasted with sound and light for hours and hours at a time. Like it's almost numbing in a way, Mm -hmm. like it almost kind of like beats your nerves into submission. But that itself is kind of an addictive feeling. Yeah. And, and it, it almost begins from like the moment you get to a place, an environment like Rolling Loud, uh, and everybody else who's there is kind of expecting it to be something, something special and outside of normal life as well. Just the way that people dress, the way they behave, uh, it's not a cheap thing to go to either. Like I think including fees, it's like four hundred fifty bucks or something like that. And a lot of the people there are teens. It's like, it's like, yeah, this is something that people really kind of get themselves you know, they might spend months essentially like working towards being able to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's possible to be like really cynical about live music these days. Yeah. And it's especially cynical, possible to be cynical about rolling loud for reasons that we'll probably discuss. Uh, but, you know, these things inevitably exist for the fans, for the people who are there. And a lot of them seem like they're having a great time, you know, for the most part, at least the ones who hadn't like you know uh gotten too spun out or were tripping too hard or whatever which is something you also inevitably see these days uh so yeah
0: Yeah. and what I think was really interesting is you're comparing this kind of sensory overload at the festival to the state of the culture in general this um yeah This, I mean, I guess you call like a hyper moralism, this uh, performative activism. How did you make that connection between the kind of ethos at the concert and the larger cultural kind of moment we're in?
1: Yeah, well, it's, again, it gets back to just, you know, what I was saying about how drama filled New York Rolling Loud was this year. So the first day, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, because the 31st was Halloween. And I think the hip hop division of the NYPD like didn't want to authorize a giant rap festival where everyone yeah. was in costume. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's just one man's theory. Anyway, so the first day, the Thursday of the festival, uh, Lil Nas X made a surprise performance with oh, Jack wow. Harlow, surprise appearance to do "Industry Baby," and then at the very you know the the first night headliner was Fifty Cent, and he brought out DaBaby Baby on stage. Wow, uh, right? Who obviously got kind of quasi-canceled over, yeah. you know, these allegedly homophobic comments he made, um, which led to, like, an open feud with Lil Nas X. Uh, and so this sent, like, this strange kind of message where it's, like, you know, clearly the people who run this festival, and by the way, nobody there, like, Lil Baby, excuse me, the baby didn't get booed at all or anything. Like, people were happy to see him. Yeah. Um, and it really kind of drove home that there's kind of, like, this, like, elite dominated kind of culture of moralism and judgment which is like you know almost this quasi you know like uh protestant geneva or something under john calvin where there are these codes of behavior that everybody has to follow um but then you have this other massive even more massive realm of popular culture uh which is dominated by hip-hop which doesn't care about any of those things um probably like the most insane example of this being if you go back to the the YNW Melly album which Mm -hmm. came out uh I think at some point over the summer and you just look at the list of features on that album and like Melly is like currently you know in jail for an alleged double homicide that he almost certainly committed I mean I don't want to like I don't want people coming after me or anything but like (laughs) you know people have looked into this and like There's really no great alternative hypothesis. Like he probably, you know, he he may very well have done it, let's say. Uh, And that's like murder of like multiple people. And like Kanye West has a feature on that that album. Um, And like, there are good and bad things about that. The good thing is that we have like a sector of American culture that actually is not just completely free, uh, but incredibly successful. And that has like, Mm again, like the organic loyalty of like young people. And that also is just like better and more creative and more interesting than elite culture in practically every way. The flip side of that is that there's kind of this very careful like industry exploitation of notoriety Uh, in in a way it is almost like part of the product. Um, And then second of all, it makes it much harder to actually root out People and behaviors and tendencies that might actually need to be rooted out. Uh, uh, one of the other things that made this so drama-filled, uh, New York Rolling Loud, is that it was the last Travis Scott performance before Astroworld. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, where ten people were killed. Uh, could something like that have happened at Rolling Loud in New York? Like, yeah, easily, of course. Sure. Like, it's dark out. The weather sucked. It's like a bunch of young people who might not be in their right minds. Like, yeah, of course it could have happened there. Um, and I think Rolling Loud has given some indication that Travis Scott might actually headline Miami later this year. They've been teasing that on their, on their Twitter feed. So it's like, on, on the one hand, it's like very encouraging and very constructive, uh, that we have a sort of alternative to the censoriousness and, and the moralism that kind of dominates a lot of American life. On the other hand, uh it's almost a cynical element of like a large kind of money-making edifice of, of modern music. And it does kind of give rise to, to things that really are, to things you would rather not see, let's say, um, at the center of American pop culture in some, in some ways.
0: Yeah. And it's just weird to me that for a lot of these artists, you just see how um, incoherent a lot of these, moralistic rules are because like they're arbitrarily applied to to some of the artists but also they're used by the labels as kind of puppets or mouthpieces for these causes and like you'll see especially with like the baby that you know it doesn't always work out well um but it's it's interesting to me though that you're saying for young people they tend to be drawn to these figures because they're precisely not elite um And I don't know, like, I see a lot of young people who will go along with the bandwagon of, you know, these moralistic, um, you know, social justice, whatever. And yet, I don't know, like, how do you make sense of that, that young people are drawn to these causes, but also are drawn to the non-elitism of these figures?
1: That's a good question. Um, uh, Sorry about that. (laughs) Just had to decline a call there. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, I know that like in polls, I've seen I've seen this written that like cancel culture polls worse among Zoomers than it does among members of any other kind of generational cohort. Uh, there is and there's always kind of a reaction to whoever kind of the next youngest group of people are right. <laughs> you need yeah. something to rebel against. And these are the, the group that you know best. <laughs> compared to maybe you know the parents of the millennials or whatever Mm -hmm. that that makes some sense uh there's also just the the kind of percolation of more kind of liberal open values you know down to younger people which is something that that you sort of always see my kind of explanation for it is that it's just sort of you just find lots of sort of like big and small incoherencies in american life right now and like you know, is there tension between being like a massive Travis Scott stand um, and also being, uh, you know, a huge believer in social justice causes? Like, if you want to drill down into it, yes, yes, there is. Uh, but I'm also a great believer that like art always wins out over politics, yeah. like 100% of the time. Um, and that like people love saying otherwise and they love pretending otherwise, but like, you are going to get more out of listening to travis scott than you are going to get out of like participating in x or y social or political cause Mm -hmm. like you know like the music that you like is going to sort of like edify you inspire you and provide a certain coherency to your life that like political commitments can't for most people unless you're like you know, unless you're like certain friends of mine whose life is like the DSA or activism or whatever, but that's just kind of not how most people are. And it's like, this is kind of another thing that I I guess I kind of admire about the Zoomers and it's kind of the good side of Stan culture in a way. It's like, yeah, like young people should have artists who they really believe in, um, you know, and who they're not Mm -hmm. just going to like simply turn their back on. you know, maybe you'd like those artists to be better or deeper or more interesting or whatever. Uh, but you know, the fact that like people were willing to cheer, you know, baby at rolling loud at least shows that uh people really actually do believe that their musical taste should override other things. And mm-hmm. I happen to think that music and musical taste is extremely important. Now I don't like I don't like the baby very much. And, you know, I think that is his flow is pretty, uh, pretty monotonous and predictable. And I don't think his music is that good. Uh, But there are some positive things about the fact that it's proved extremely hard and even impossible to cancel, you know, certain types of musical artists. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, But I don't know when I think about some of these figures, like you're saying that, it's weird to me that so many young people will like stand them, but also yeah. um, post all these social justice hashtags in their Twitter bios or whatever. Because oh, yeah, you know, it's like the a lot of these artists are like the epitome of Western decadence. So to be saying that you know I stand for these for the cause of the oppressed and you know it's just uh, like I, they don't see this cognitive dissonance between. Again, these people who are working for these major elite corporations and whose lifestyles, whose image is extremely decadent, um, and yet you know my interests are for those who, who don't have power, who don't have opportunities. It's like, I don't know. Right. This is why I think it. Like at the end of the day you can't live out this moralistic social justice narrative for very long because it's just not sustainable. It's not interesting. Like at a certain point, there needs to be some decadence, some, uh, like we can't be moral constantly, you know, like something about the glamorous lifestyle of these celebrities is attractive for yeah. for real reason, you know?
1: Well, and also what sort of attracted me or what what really sort of, you know, one of the things that made me kind of a you know hip-hop fan in high school uh you know was watching kind of like the classic era you know like say like 2001 to 2005 let's say you know period of like rap videos where you know it'd be like uh you know the the, this is the way we ball video i think it is where he has to spend a million dollars in one day (laughs) and just like the you know just the ostentation of them and i realized like at you know it took me not that long to realize that like oh actually like some of this is supposed to be ironic like this is about both like the desire for wealth and the grossness of wealth and like if you can kind of hold those two thoughts in your mind at once it becomes like very clever and funny Mm -hmm. uh and like you know that's always been sort of a something that kind of hip-hop can do that other sort of uh you know genres and artistic modes are kind of like less interested in and like you can go on and on about kind of like the the role of bragging about wealth in rap music. The the thing that I love about that is that like in like polite society, that's like the worst and like gauchest thing you can yeah. do, right? Is talk about how rich you are. Um, but in in hip hop, it's it's like a rejection of that of that convention
0: mm-hmm. completely.
1: And then it doesn't just reject that convention. It's like, well, we're gonna like make it actually kind of the center of what of what we're doing and it's going to seem like very funny and hip and exciting to like actually brag about how much money you have Mm -hmm. um you know and then you have like rappers like meek mill where you know who who very effectively and in a way that i don't think is cynical actually use their own wealth as a sign of like defying the social order right the Mm -hmm. you know the, the famous line in dreams and nightmares where he's like oh you know when i when I rolled up in Aston Martin, you all thought it was rented. Well, like it's actually mine, <laughs> um, which, which you know, is where uh, you know some of the kind of more liberating character in the music can come from. And again, this is like this is stuff that art can do. But I don't think it's I don't think these are things that like politics or even most activism can really kind of do. It's why like art is so yeah. important. It's why it's like better than mm. most anything else in existence.
0: But what uh, would you make of a figure like J. Cole who prides yeah. himself on like, oh, I don't show off all my bling. I'm all about like things that are deeper than money. And, you know, right. So. Do you think That's it's like an authentic?
1: No, I, I don't. I don't think J. Cole's inauthentic at all. Although I'll say this much like. J. Cole was playing at the same time as Playboy Cardi uh the second day of rolling around, really? and oh, wow. there was no thought no hesitation about skipping j cole to see to see playboy cardi um right it's like one of them is like a very good interesting you know kind of rapper who's like very lyrically elevated and really mm-hmm. good and like is he as great as kendrick lamar he's not but like he doesn't need to be you know i'm not gonna badmouth Jay j cole it's between that and like uh, you know, what Playboy Cardi represents, which is something entirely different and new and weird mm-hmm. and dark. Uh, and in some ways, very exciting and in other ways, very bleak.
0: Um. Yeah, because mm. I saw Cole when he was at Barclays in October and like, oh, cool. you know, I really respect what he's doing because I know he believes in it. And I like, I think, yeah, like it is morally more... Integrity than what's out there yeah. in the mainstream i do think it becomes gimmicky after a while that he's like oh all these people want to show off their bling and they're chasing after temporary happiness we need to chase yeah. after love and being there for each And it's like okay i mean yes we know that's true but it's if you're gonna just keep harping on that it just gets corny after a while but he was like it was clear that in the show he kept saying like i, I know you guys want me to play my radio hits but You know, after that, I'm going to play some of the deeper cuts because I'm a real rapper and I'm a lyricist. And I know it's not as exciting, but that's what I want to do. It's like, I get that, but at a certain point, it's just like entertain the crowd. I don't know.
1: Yeah, right. Right. And it's also just like this weird sort of tension in rap music that I don't think really came along until like the last 10 years Mm -hmm. where like the the tension between like rappers and rapping, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where like, you know, lyricism, the, the things that like had basically, uh, you know, been the undisputed point of the entire genre started to almost be seen as like an obstacle towards other things that artists were trying to accomplish. Uh, right, like, I mean, this is sort of like one of the oldest tensions in music period. Like, do the words get in the way of the music? What's kind mm-hmm. of like the point of it? Uh, do you really need to, you know, do you really need to throw words into a, you know, into a, into a symphony or whatever? Uh, and rap's going through its own kind of version of that. Um, really kind of like, I don't think it like, obviously it didn't begin with young thug, but he's kind of the the figure that comes the most to mind is like someone who focuses really on kind of texture and melody, mm-hmm. uh, of course he has, you know, he has it in him to be like an incredibly elevated lyricist, um, but he can, you know, that's kind of what makes him so brilliant. He can he can kind of like be many different things at once. Uh, you know, Chief Keef was kind of another example of this. Uh, again, someone who was not trying to dazzle people with lyricism or storytelling, um, who wasn't necessarily trying to leave you scratching your head about any great moral questions per se, Um, although much like, much like Young Thug, I think Keith has it in him to be a really quite brilliant lyricist at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a way, like a J. Cole type figure is almost like a throwback in a way that, that maybe doesn't necessarily, not that it's out of, not that it's out of step with the current state of the art because he's hugely popular um, and his album was one of the biggest of the year. But he is sort of one of those one of those figures who stands in contrast to to a lot of other things going on.
0: Yeah. Um, So now I wanted to shift. There's one line that really caught me here. The way you you talk about the kind of ugliness of all of it. So you say that it's no accident that the aesthetics of this space, if it can be said to have one, is a chaos of imagery and sound, which reads in any conventional framework as ugliness. The ugliness of pop comes from overload and aimlessness, and is the opposite of the purposeful ugliness embraced by that part of the supposedly social consci- socially conscious elite. So, explain what you mean by the ugliness of this space.
1: Sure. Um. I guess the, I guess what I mean by it is that, like, there isn't a lot in kind of contemporary pop culture, or really in like contemporary american culture in general in the last several decades that really aims for beauty as an ideal Mm -hmm. uh i mean another sort of area uh, you know kind of subtopic of mine that i've loved writing about over the years is architecture Mm -hmm. and just the puzzling question of why the built environment nearly everywhere on earth has gotten uglier and uglier and uglier like uh and and at a place like rolling loud, again, you're like bombarded with sort of these disconnected images, you know, it's, you know, pixelated, you know, video of skulls on fire and, Mm -hmm. you know, people in grateful dead shirts where you're kind of unclear why they're wearing them. (laughs) Uh, Like, you know, just this kind of mishmash of everything all at once again, in an environment where you're getting blasted with sound and light. And it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of like, you're, you're pretty far downstream from like, you know, standing and contemplating like Monet water lilies or something, mm-hmm. or let's say you're not exactly in like the Japanese courtyard at the Met. Uh, this is a, you know, this is sort of a fire hose approach to to things. Um, and like, there's no, no sort of real attempt to isolate any of it into, into any kind of like single thing you can contemplate right there's no there's no contemplation
0: yeah, happening
1: no. at at most at most big music festivals not to single out rolling loud i mean i've been to bonnaroo and i was at mm-hmm. uh government's ball not long before and it's like these are not places where you are necessarily going to have like a sublime experience of you know the sort of eternal ineffable stuff of the universe mm-hmm. but we also like but culture in general is is kind of like that i mean i, I mentioned yeah. in the story And this was like kind of a weird interpolation because it had nothing to do with Zoomers, but I left it in there and my editors left it in there because I guess it just felt true. Like, have you been to the new Moynihan train hall? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right, the new uh, train station next to Penn Station where Amtrak now goes. I mean, that's like a brutal space. That's a dehumanizing space. There's nowhere to sit. There's no color. You have this awful clock that seems like it's like, you know, the clock from Dark City or something that's hanging (laughs) over. Like there's nowhere to eat, there's nothing to do. Like you're just there being uncomfortable until your train arrives or leaves. Yeah, until your train leaves. Um, and it's almost this perfect sort of encapsulation of like the way that like much of you know American life and American culture makes you feel these days. Like there actually is nothing to look at, nothing to do. Like you are kind of nowhere. Uh, for whatever time you're in this place like
0: this extreme atomization like totally disconnected from anything that's substantial anything lasting i guess right
1: but then it was built of course you know to be right i mean this is the crazy thing about architecture like you know a building isn't like a like a like a record or something like they're doing it on purpose they have like an actual sort of like blueprint like they know what they're doing um it could have been better and more colorful and right, more exciting and less dehumanizing, but like the choice was made that it was gonna be the exact opposite of how it, of how, uh, it should have wound up. Um, now, what I kind of attribute that to, I mean, that's kind of an interesting question, like why, why are so many aspects of our culture so kind of alienated from any traditional idea of beauty? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to say. Um, and that's not to say that all of it is. I mean, there's, again, to get back to popular music, like, I mean, you could hear things at Rolling Loud, uh, you know, or at a, any music festival that actually are quite beautiful. Yeah. Um,
0: I felt that way at Jay Cole's concert.
1: Yeah. But you're also feeling them, again, in a place where, you know, your mind and your nerves are under total bombardment at every second yeah
0: The setting makes a difference obviously yeah Um, i feel like it's all at the service of capital though because like if the general cultural ethos is not ordered towards some objective truth um then the art and entertainment needs to be focused on i guess desensitizing us or or rather like the sensory overload so that we just keep coming back for more without any actual reason without really using our, uh, I don't know, our capacity to think critically about why am I doing this?
1: Right. And this is kind of where like Playboy Cardi comes in and why he became the focus of the essay. Uh, It wasn't just that he was the best performer. I don't know about best, but the most Mm -hmm. memorable performer at the festival by far. It's that his work kind of plays off of this and encourages it, right? The, you know, the idea of like that it's never too much just repeating those words at the beginning of the album, like never too much, never too much. Uh, again, it's like almost the statement of being in a way it's not a statement of being that I agree with necessarily, but the results don't leave you, certainly don't leave you feeling indifferent. Uh, so, right. I mean, that was kind of the interesting question that I wanted to deal with. Like, is there anything to redeem the ugliness like can it actually have a point and where i came out uh again using cardi i guess is kind of the the touchstone here is that yeah maybe maybe it can have a point uh in the long run we'll see yeah but there are at least hints that it can be something more than nihilism whether that's something is is uh you know the kind of music that you or I would necessarily enjoy mm-hmm. or choose to listen to is kind of a different, different story. Yeah.
0: I think it depends on the, li- how well the listeners, um, I don't know their artistic or cultural sensibility has been formed because yeah. I, I think for myself, like the stuff I listened to growing up was yeah. mostly um i was looking for something that could appeal to these kind of like base instincts this need for distraction but as i matured and as i started to understand music and art more i listened to it not for distraction or not for this instinctive kind of pleasure but like i started to ask like i don't know what is this artist saying or what is it making me reflect on like back to this point of contemplation and i just think i don't know on one hand this particular type of music i do think it's more disposed to this base level distraction um especially these are young people listening to it who don't have a strong uh a strong sense of how to read this stuff but doesn't necessarily have to end in nihilism like you might be able to put them away like i don't know for me when i listen to trap more generally i do think there's something cathartic about it like it says yes. something about this need for resolution in the midst of conflict, just the production, the sound. But again, like a young person may not be able to come away with that conclusion. Maybe for them it's right. just a distraction. Right,
1: or they, they come away from that conclusion if they get to see it live. Like mm. this was the shocking thing about Cardi. Like, you know, he had always been like a little bit of an enigma to me, like kind of, what is he doing? Is, the, is there really any kind of like skill or musicality to it? Like, mm-hmm. what is this really? I was, just, you know, I was kind of puzzled by a whole lot of red, uh, which just struck me as kind of strange and like maybe a little bit monotonous. Um, it was only kind of seeing him live that I kind of sort of in seeing the way that like the zoomers were reacting to him that I kind of understood what this music really was like, like, oh, this serves the same function as like drone or, you know, or hardcore Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or goth or even heavy metal in a way. Like this is like the really loud, intense stuff you can get lost in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the encouraging thing about Cardi is that he's far more popular than like, you know, drone or goth or heavy metal musicians kind of ever were. Mm Uh, I mean, he's one of the, you know, he's got like 16 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Like he's actually making stuff that's really quite strange. And whether, you know, his younger listeners process it that way, I, I kind of have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was something like extremely encouraging about seeing like, you know, a bunch of like, you know, 18 and 19 year olds, like completely losing their minds. Uh, you know, to, to an experience that reminded me of seeing swans or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. I mean, because that's like the live music experience that I almost compare because right, you know most shows are kind of like whatever and you get like that let's say top half of shows where maybe you think about it for another week and then you have that like top quarter of shows where you can really kind of remember what they played and then you have like at the top of that pyramid for me were my three times seeing swans back in like 2014 the uh you know the the pioneering new york industrial band mm-hmm. and you know, where you see them and you're like, am I even at a show? Like what the hell is going on? Uh, and it's an experience that like, doesn't really come along very often. Cause we're, it's, it's not fun. It's like, you're overwhelmed and you're confused and you're almost like reassessing all of your sort of views on art and reality as it's happening. S- seeing fish for the first time was like that in a way Not to, you know, a l- little bit of an embarrassing admission there. And the, there was an element of that in seeing Playboy Cardi Um, And in maybe sensing that, like, the people I was around were also caught up in the midst of something really intense and confusing that would restructure their kind of, you know, aesthetic and moral values in some respects. Mm. Um, And there's something really cool about that that I can't that I can't really hate on, even if, you know, the music itself, as as I say, some of it's really good, some of it's a joke. A lot, it's the the, in its totality, I'd say his work is still a bit of an enigma in some respects. Um Mm. although I think that like the the really kind of clarifying thing, this didn't go in the story, this got cut, but the the song that really kind of explains Playboy Cardi uh is his guest spot on the Solange song Almeda, Mm. where which is like almost a perfect song. It's like the best, it's like one of the best Solange songs. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like absolutely sublime and perfect. And then he comes in uh, to do a verse where you can't understand what the hell he's saying. <laughs> and it's like, well, why is this, why is this here? And the answer that I kind of came up with in my mind is that like Solange is sort of like, let's call her like a high millennial artist. Sure. Uh, you know, very kind of hard on her sleeve, uh, very strong personality. Mm-hmm. But then you have like playboy Cardi, who's almost like a high zoomer, right? He's like almost the epitome of like a certain zoomer ideal of being like really mysterious and intense and not seeming to care about much of anything. Um, but then he cares about so little that you wonder what he does care about. Right. And in that song, you almost have like that generational boundary within the space of like,
0: you know, a minute or two. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the this whole part about the ugliness, like, it made me question why do I listen to music not to find something beautiful? And I feel like, yeah. I mean, there are times when I listen to something explicitly because, yes, this is like a really beautiful piece that makes me think about life, but. Most of the time it's either for, again, this like instinctive kind of amusement or distraction or because I think for me, and I I guess for a lot of people, like listening to an artist gives you a kind of um, cultural currency because like, I don't know if there's a lot of hype around them or it's like, it's a cultural marker that you can hang your identity on. And then you can like, you can post about that artist. You can, uh, and like people are going to make assumptions about you. Um, yeah. And I don't know like I think some of these songs I listen to like they're, um, they're not going to be meaningful to me 10 years down the line, but at least for now like the hype is enough to, uh, to give me some again some kind of cultural, uh, it has some cultural significance, even if it's not inherently beautiful. Um,
1: and I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that like, yeah, it's the reason that people watch sports in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like something to care about and talk about, and it's a way to connect with, you know, people you otherwise might not have any reason to connect with. Uh, by the way, I think that's also kind of why hip hop has eclipsed every other aspect of pop culture. Like, it's bigger personalities. There's an element of psychodrama to it. It's just a lot mm-hmm. more fun. Uh, it, it has kind of like a pro wrestling element to it. That yeah, can again, that. It can be very. It, it can be very dark. Mm -hmm. uh you know because the pro wrestling element sometimes actually gets these artists killed uh but it can
0: be very beautiful too though yes it
1: can yeah like
0: yeah it's versatile yeah i do think it's a problem if we can't distinguish um something like liking something because of the hype versus liking it because it's beautiful because like if we if we substitute this category of hype or or you know excitement for beauty, then like, I don't know, our sense of self our sense of reality is kind of out of order. I don't oh, know, yeah. that's my sense of things. Cause like, I remember there was a point for me where like, I don't know, like I used to really worship a lot of these artists when I was younger and I realized like they can't offer me what I'm expecting them to give me. And if right. I'm going to keep looking at them as if this is what they are, like it really kind of like screwed me up when i'm able to say okay like i like this because it's fun but i know this is not really my ultimate source of meaning in life okay you know like it's reasonable but again it's like it's i think it's hard for young people to make that distinction
1: yeah and i also don't know i mean this is my big blind spot like i don't know what young people are looking for in music these days like i know what i was looking for when i was their age you know i was looking for uh stuff that made me feel less alone essentially Mm -hmm. uh you know I was looking for stuff that could kind of open some kind of new inner horizon some or in some way or another and that actually attracts you to a lot of music that winds up not being that good Mm -hmm. (laughs) right like you know there we all like bands in high school that turned out to really suck uh you know and, and later on um although maybe that's more a function of growing cynicism as you get older but but no there were bands I liked in high school that sucked like for for sure uh but I yeah I don't know I don't know what what kind of younger people are necessarily looking for uh in in music
0: Uh, you did say something about how being quarantined kind of impacted zoomer's sense of aesthetics and art I thought that was interesting
1: yeah well, I, you know, this, this kind of goes back to like a conversation that I often had the first few months of the pandemic um, when I was, I was quarantined with a, another writer um, here in Brooklyn. We were here for, you know, the first three months of the pandemic in New York, which is pretty brutal. Uh, but you know, I had this repeated thought that like, you know, if I were like a junior in high school, I would never trust anybody or anything ever again, mm-hmm. like ever again. Like, oh, like this is how easily like society can collapse. And this is how quickly like my senior year of high school can kind of disappear down the drain. And not just that, but like your freshman year of college, like crucial years, crucial mm-hmm. years of your life. Uh, you know, the kids are rolling loud had basically taken away from them. Um, and it would really leave me in like a dark mood. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, I'm old enough to sort of have some perspective on like how long or how short two years and counting really is. But like, if I didn't have that, it would sort of color my view of reality forever Um, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure it will for, for some, for some of these, some of these people. Uh, And like, inevitably you're going to search out art that sort of like reflects your own frustration and your own sense of nothing really being all that solid. Uh, And like, I think Cardi kind of does that Mm -hmm. in some ways. Trippy Red does too. Uh, Like, I think he's like a total nihilist in some, in some respects. Yeah. Uh, You know, or these other sorts of artists who are, you know, have kind of very mysterious, either personas that are like really out there and kind of self-consciously gross uh, or ones who are like very kind of like retreated into themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know,
0: yeah. I, I was going to say, like, you you made a connection to TikTok. And I think that's also yeah. it has to do with, like, I just see for a lot of young people while they were quarantined, like TikTok was their only way of connecting with people yeah. and getting information. Um, so you see, kind of see how this aesthetic, the, I guess the fluidity yeah. or the, um, I don't know, the vaporousness, as you said, like, kind of speaks to this generation.
1: Yeah. And TikTok, by the way, TikTok I read the other week is now like the number one website in the whole world. Wow. Like it it passed the Google, like Google.com, which is really crazy because like Google.com yeah. is at least useful. Like people go to the Google homepage because yeah. they're like, you know, looking for, you know, whatever people look for on Google, which is everything and anything. Yeah. TikTok is like a slot machine. It's really, it's a slot machine. Yeah. It, it feeds a kind of like mental need, uh, you know, for constant kind of stimulation. And the things on it, I mean, you can find videos on TikTok that are like extremely clever and are actual sort of manifestations of something that could be considered genius. Uh, but, you know, then you find, uh, you know, like really bad kind of like cooking channels that have like, you know they're run by like a teenage girl in Detroit or something and yeah. have like nine million, like nine million followers. <laughs> like the numbers on t- TikTok are obscene, they're yeah. crazy. Like the stupidest, randomest people have like more followers on TikTok than like major heads of state do on Twitter, yeah, and major rappers for that matter, and mm. major you know, celebrities and stuff. It's like the celebrities on, of Twitter have as many followers as like again some like suburban teen you know making sand art might have (laughs) on tiktok uh and again it makes it seem as if like nothing matters and nothing's that important and it's all just like people wasting time in like various stupid ways in order to then waste the time of other people in even stupider ways and it's all kind of held together by this like again like this slot machine type algorithm um this very real kind of like gamification of uh of time just getting sucked away yeah uh and like i'm a twitter addict so i'm really no better than any of these other people in fact mm-hmm. twitter might be even worse
0: uh, uh i don't know TikTok's they're
1: both bad. bad they're both probably pretty bad but in like and you just wonder like is there some better thing that people could be doing um and i think i think yeah like i mean one of the reasons that i mean i know i'm on a podcast right now but like one of the reasons i've always been suspicious of podcasting is that like people should be listening to music when they're listening to something like mm. i'm like one of those which is not to say that you shouldn't listen to the occasional podcast obviously yeah. like i don't think podcasts are 100 percent bad but like you know they're they're like we're in the day and age where it's like really kind of easy one of the blessings of technology uh you know, to expose yourself to all sorts of real, you know, I don't want to call it high culture necessarily, but like, it's very easy to expose yourself to things that are more edifying than TikTok and Twitter. Yeah, let's of course. It's all there. It's all there on Spotify. It's all there on like, you know, like every phone, every iPhone basically comes with a Kindle more or less. You can download the Kindle app. It's like, uh, you know, listening to books on tape, whatever else or just like looking around just unplugging and like observing things mm-hmm. you know just like looking around the subway car which is something that i used to have to do when i was a younger man in the city because smartphones hadn't been invented yet how how different would yeah. my brain have been if i had constant distraction on the train 100 percent of the time uh no uh,
0: i mean i feel like there needs to be some kind of um Like, sure, we all know it's better to, like, sit and look at nature or people than to, like, look at our phones. But there has to be something beyond just, like, oh, I'm going to push myself to do something that's more edifying. I think that, like, that desire for to contemplate beautiful things, like, has to be cultivated. And that's not just something I think we decide. Like, I think it's a matter of education and relationships that incline us towards that higher ideal. And if that's not available, that's hard.
1: Now, luckily, like, I think that there are things in pop culture that do point people towards that higher ideal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a lot of music that gets very, very popular these days. That's like weirder and more interesting than the the things that were comparably popular when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, I mean, like the weekend album that's coming out tomorrow night. uh, That's something that like a ton of young people are going to listen to and Mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, I get the sense from like the teaser trailers that, uh, you know, he's kind of deepened his work with uh, one one tricks point never, uh, who back when I was a kid, uh, you know, in like 2009 was just sort of this like kind of obscure, really out there kind of sound artist guy who people didn't know much about. Now he's like basically co-producing a record that tens of millions of people are going to hear. That's very that's very cool. Um, uh you don't think the
0: weekend's nihilistic
1: kind of i mean i know that he like plays a nihilist but Mm -hmm. when i listen to his music i don't feel hopeless uh i certainly don't you know i certainly don't feel as if like i'm wallowing in any sort of meaninglessness there are other artists who do that i think a lot more explicitly and quote unquote successfully let's say
0: um yeah because you said something interesting about like uh the whiny millennial crap like talking about Tony yes. ocean and lana del rey and yeah. i mean when i listen to those types of artists who you know put the weekend in that category like i think yeah. of it as nihilistic but i hear what you're saying that it's more hopeful than either like cardi or billy eilish like right i think there's more chaos in the newer sound versus like At least in the vulnerability, yeah, it can become nihilistic, but at least there's some like actual human communicating something of the human experience. It's very clear. I I get what's happening. Right. Um,
1: Exactly. So like, it's funny, like, you know, on Twitter, I get served with these, uh, like every every Twitter user, I get served with lots of tweets I don't want to see from accounts I don't follow. mm -hmm. Um, So I get all these tweets about Playboy Cardi from Playboy Cardi Stan accounts popping up in my feed. (laughs) And one of them today, this was today, not making this up, read, uh, you know, Playboy Cardi is the Frank Ocean of rap. And there was a second where I thought, well, yeah, actually, that's true in the sense that both of them represent these important kind of hinge moments in music where they were, you know, these very interesting kind of breaks with what had come before. On the other hand, like, no, actually, Playboy Cardi is like the negation of Frank Ocean and a lot of what Frank Ocean represented. Um, and I mean, I can tell you which of those two I'd rather listen to. Uh, and by the way when frank ocean eventually puts a new album out that's also going to be huge and a lot of young people will hear it and it will also expose them to thoughts and ideas that are highly elevated and that'll be great uh it's not it's not all bad (laughs) Uh, i I guess is what i'm trying to say but like yeah there's you know like frank like frank ocean and lana del rey are like they, you know, they come at it from a very kind of sideways angle, the way that great artists always do, but they're kind of confessional. And like, if you listen to them enough and if you listen to them hard enough, you'll find a, a rawness to it and a certain kind of core of, of not just who they are, but who we all are in a sense, mm-hmm. um, you know, same with Solange, same with like a lot of, you know, a lot of these uh, more kind of like, let's call them millennial pop stars. Um, And maybe it's possible to hear that in Billie Eilish and Playboy Cardi. Um, And again, I I admire both of them a lot because they make very strange music that got very, very popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, like kind of what exactly do they sort of represent? Like what what sort of center of their being? Um, Maybe we'll eventually find out and they'll keep progressing and evolving. They're both very young. I mean, Billie Eilish is 19 and... Uh, cardi's only 25 and they hopefully both have a lot of time left mm-hmm.
0: uh yeah um uh, no i was gonna say this, this makes me think about just the, the fact that like 90s early 2000s music for me because like i grew up listening mostly to r&d and additional to hip-hop and like yeah. more mainstream pop acts and at that point like it was still common for artists to really sing from um from their soul, like with this real um, emotional investment, um, and with like a sense of positivity, there was like a real sense of hopefulness, especially yeah. in the soul music. But I think it was, yeah, like this turn towards the 2010s with people like The Weekend, with Frank Ocean, with Solange, yeah. like. It's vulnerable, but it's this, like, ironic detachment. It wasn't as hopeful. And, like, I do think it does communicate something that's real and interesting about the human experience. But I do wonder, like, for people, for kids growing up on this sound, I do have this fear that something's lost. Like, because there isn't as much positivity or, like, real, um, the the detachment is what makes me feel like uh, there's something, I don't know.
1: Right. Right. And I've like wanted to write something for a while uh, and it would require kind of a lot of thought and a lot of time about mm-hmm. comparing and contrasting like Lana Del Rey and Bob Dylan. Sure. Uh, and like, like I think there are kind of a lot of similarities there uh, lyrically, narratively, they both have like a certain kind of sense of playfulness. Like I think Lana Del Rey is kind of a trickster in the same way that kind of he was. Mm-hmm. Um and like, I think they both try you know, constructed these very kind of like vague and like fluid personas for themselves in, in ways that are, you know, that can be kind of compared and contrasted. Um, but right, like, is there sort of a, a core of optimism to her music the way that there might've been to Dylan's at one point? Mm. And I, I don't know, Maybe, maybe not. And also like more philosophically, does there have to be, core of of positivity and optimism uh for art to work as art and i've I've always thought yes like i've always thought that like no matter how good a movie is um if the light wasn't getting in it couldn't be a great film like Mm -hmm. you know if you think about even like the bleakest classic movies uh there was there was always sort of something pointing towards something higher and better uh, that was like kind of achievable. Yeah. And there's a lot, right? You, you can't be like mm. entirely negative, like, you know, in part because it just doesn't narratively work or sonically work. And in part because that's just not how life is. Uh, you know, yeah. human, human beings are not endlessly <laughs> cynical. Actually, human beings end up being endlessly optimistic in some respects. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a great need mm. across all of human history documented in art and literature. Uh, to find the light even in circumstances far worse than the ones that we find ourselves in
0: yeah i mean kanye said this in the the drink champs interview i don't know if you saw it but yeah i saw parts of it it's great yeah like there's a part where he was saying that like if a rap song doesn't have as he called it like a redemption conclusion or like he would say like a rapper would say something about I don't know, like objectifying a woman or something very like dark and self-destructive. And he's like, if you don't follow it up with some kind of redemptive lyric after that, like it's socially irresponsible. And I think he's coming from like, I don't know, this religious position that he's in now, but still, is it irresponsible to not offer some positive afterthought when you say something kind of dark or nihilistic? I don't know. I mean, I don't think art, eh, I think it's exempt from certain moral scrutiny at a certain point but it still does hold weight morally i don't know it's complicated
1: yeah it is i mean i I think that like the specifics of it are are wrong uh but the broad strokes of it i think are right like there there has to be some kind of motioning towards something better and higher uh than what we see in our own lives and our own reality Mm -hmm. again in order for for art to really, really, really work. Um, you know, and, and Kanye has sort of figured out, I think, a very novel and interesting way of translating that idea into rap music, uh, right? I mean, Donda is like this very kind of complex work about hope and despair and memory mm-hmm. and guilt and all these other sort of topics that he more and less successfully kind of weaves together over the course of an album that, again, is excellent at times and baffling at others. Uh, it's, it's a good ideal to kind of shoot for um, or at least a good thing to kind of have in the back of your mind if you're if you're you know creating art that you really want want to connect with people. And by the way, that's another kind of album where there was this interesting kind of or a moment, let's say, among the many in the last couple of years of there being a real disjuncture between, you know elite opinion and popular opinion let's say mm-hmm. like it's an album that every you know that the the sort of cultural gatekeeper types really didn't like for the most part Yeah, um, but it seemed to have been really kind of embraced by a lot of people uh, for reasons other than just Kanye's celebrity by the way yeah. um, like I think Don does a record that people are still going to listen to and like in 10 or 10 or 15 years
0: sure yeah mm-hmm. you know yeah. So, just to wrap things up, do you have any plugs that you want to make either to social media or your your writing? Oh, man,
1: good question. Uh, well, first of all, everybody go to tablet tabletmag.com. Um, like I said, we're a kind of a Jewish focused magazine, but really we're for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'll get you'll you'll get the religion stuff, but also you know, reporting and essays on you know, all sorts of different things from all sorts of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we pride ourselves on being a bit, a bit more pluralistic and less judgy and less stodgy than a lot of the rest of the media is. Uh, So it's worth checking out no matter who you are, tabletmag.com. I'm on Twitter at A-R-M-I-N-R-O-S-E-N, Armin Rosen, uh, at Armin Rosen. So first name, last name, simple enough. Uh, and what else? I mean, I've resisted the urge to ever join Instagram. So I'm not on that. Thank God. Yeah, that way, it would, yeah. it would eat up even more of my time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm on Spotify. I've made a few playlists, some of them good, some of them embarrassing, <laughs> a few of them kind of publicly facing. I've, I've done this kind of experiment of running like, uh, and this is something Jeff Weiss at Passion of the Weiss has done, where he has like a, kind of a running playlist that'll change every few months. Uh, so I've got, I've got one of those that I'm trying to, you know, use it as a, as a way of turning people on to whatever music is kind of bugging me on a, you know, Mm -hmm. on any particular week or month. Uh, and, you know, let's see what, I think that's, that's pretty much it for now, you know?
0: So I'll link all of that in the, uh, in the description, but Armin, thank you for joining us. This was good.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. This is great. All right. And thanks for reading. Sure.